Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, September 12, 2022. It's been 3,119 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 200 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. First, an editor's note. The situation is so dynamic in Ukraine right now because of the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, Izum, and Kherson, it is likely that our report will be out of date within the hour. But at some point, we have to hit publish. So let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Our assessment that Russia would resort to terror attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure was accurate, with multiple strikes on Ukraine's electrical grid. Second, our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender, was also accurate. Third, the counteroffensive in Kherson continues, with our team assessing seven settlements liberated in the last 24 hours. Fourth, Ukraine has achieved the most significant military defeat on the European continent since 1945, or March of 2022 with the collapse of Russia's attempt to capture Kyiv. Fifth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse, which is likely starting in Kherson and Donetsk. Sixth, there is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the, quote, special military operation fails, the Putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval that could result in government changes. And finally, we maintain that the risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's a Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives. We'll start with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The Russian objective here is to hold existing defensive lines, protect remaining lines of communication or locks, those are supply lines, defend Kherson, prevent envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River, and restrict insurgent activity. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River and push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket system, or MLRS, attacks on Mykolaiv and Kriviri. There is some breaking news here. Natalia Hemenyuk 
head of the Press Center for Operational Command South, or OCS, said during a TV interview, quote, We continue to advance, and progress is quite convincing. This doesn't just affect the geographical withdrawal of enemy positions, it also has a psychological effect. Enemy units which are starting to regroup are looking for ways to reach out to our units in order to conduct so-called negotiations about the possibility of laying down their arms and transitioning to the aegis of international humanitarian law. End quote. Some assessment here. Despite the Kremlin's attempt to deny and spin the defeat in Kharkiv at the Battle of the Oskil River, word travels fast among the hidden channels of Telegram. Russian units away from Kherson city suffer from dwindling supplies, decreasing artillery support, and a growing lack of basic needs, including food and drinking water. In mid-August, we assessed that continued pressure of a counteroffensive would lead to units abandoning their posts and surrendering. The Ukrainian government is maintaining tight operational security. While the Russian mill blogger and social media community almost abandoned Kherson coverage after the Inulets River bridgehead was firmly established, there have been many now confirmed rumors of Russian forces negotiating a surrender and a pullback of Russian troops closer to Kherson. Adding to the speculation, or possibly causing it, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that, quote, the invaders retreated from their positions in some settlements, end quote, but did not provide information on which ones. The pro-Russian social media account Two Majors reported, quote, On the Kherson sector, from Viskopilia, the enemy drove us out of another village, end quote. We believe there are three possibilities, but out of respect for operational security, we will not publicly speculate. Reports from GSAFU confirmed the Inulets River bridgehead remains unchanged at 16 kilometers wide and 12 kilometers deep. Ukrainian positions in Sofivka were shelled, indicating that the Russian defense of Oleksandrivka and Stanislav collapsed. We've coded Oleksandrivka, Stanislav, and Shedokabalka as liberated and Sofivka as contested. Ukrainian forces are now only 13 kilometers west of Bilozerka on the shores of Lake Bile, one of the suburbs of Kherson. Additionally, OCS reported that Miroliobivka was liberated. Based on repeated reports of shelling in Mirn and how the hamlet of Pereshevi is between the two, we have coded all three settlements as liberated. Satellite images appear to have confirmed reports that Russian troops from the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, that's the DNR and LNR, are refusing to fight in Kherson. The Russian stronghold on the M14 highway in Kisalivka was abandoned. The images were taken on the same day a picture from the highway showed the checkpoint was empty. In Kherson, Ukrainian artillery or rockets fired by HIMARS hit the Paravoznaya district, the industrial area, and the Alkorea Resurs factory, where Russian forces set up an equipment repair base and barracks. The Antonovsky bridge region was hit again, likely targeting the ferry crossing versus the bridge itself, which is, by this point, hopelessly disabled. In Kachovka, a Russian ammunition depot at the Chumak ketchup factory was destroyed by a HIMARS strike, creating multiple secondary explosions. The depot was still burning and cooking off munitions five hours after the initial strike. 
before the Russian Ministry of Defense gets ahead of itself and claims that they hit the factory to destroy a HIMARS launcher, the rocket launcher-looking vehicle on the factory's roof is a promotional vehicle for ketchup. Those are ketchup bottles, not rockets. Insurgents are keeping up pressure within Kherson, tearing down Russian propaganda and replacing it with warnings for the occupiers. Ukrainian forces made a deep strike on Rozdolne, 30 kilometers west of Russian-occupied Crimea on the Black Sea. The short video of the strike didn't show a massive fire or secondary explosions, which typically indicate an ammunition depot was destroyed. Given its proximity to the coast, there is a high probability this was an air defense station or part of an air defense network. The Ukrainian Air Force executed three airstrikes and supported 270 fire missions. Those are artillery, rocket, and missile strikes. The Russian Air Force carried out 19 strikes. The Russian Ministry of Defense only made a small mention of Kherson in its reports today. Claims made by Russian sources that a warehouse with ammunition in Voznesensk was destroyed in a missile attack were false. The video clip they shared was cleverly edited to create the appearance of a secondary explosion. Instead, it was a second cruise missile striking the city. The P-800 Onyx air-to-sea missiles, which are infamously inaccurate, landed in a civilian area. Russia has been forced to use anti-ship and anti-aircraft missiles to hit land targets after consuming most of their short-range ballistic missile, or SRBM, and cruise missile reserves in the first six months of the war. A coordinated cruise missile attack on Ukraine's electrical grid forced the Pivdenukrainsk nuclear power plant in Yuznukrainsk to scram, that's an emergency shutdown, after a power surge traveled across the 330-kilovolt and 750-kilovolt circuits across Ukraine and into Russia. The plant disconnected from the grid normally, and there was not a radiation release. Our assessment in Kherson and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 10th. You'll find it on Saturday's episode around minute 5. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The Russian objective here is to interdict personnel and equipment assembling for a counteroffensive, break civilian will with continued terror attacks, and turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and prepare area civilian population for a nuclear accident. A backup power line to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Enerhodar was restored, connecting the plant to the 330-kilovolt reserve line from the nearby thermal power plant. Plant operators went forward with their cold shutdown of Reactor 6. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that work was ongoing to connect the plant to a second 750-kilovolt line to provide an additional layer of safety. Nikopol was attacked again from the areas around the ZNPP with grad rockets and artillery. Several homes, a lyceum, which is like a secondary school, and the electrical infrastructure were damaged. There were, however, no injuries reported. In Pavlorad, the CHPP-3 power plant was hit by a Russian cruise missile, 
causing power outages in Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia when a power surge traveled through the 330-kilovolt and 750-kilovolt circuits. The power plant was one of three struck in Ukraine in a series of terror attacks designed to impact civilians and civilian infrastructure. The strike occurred after the IAEA advised ZNPP had been reconnected to the 330-kilovolt circuit, and there was no information on whether the attack caused a new disconnect from the grid. A Russian missile strike killed two civilians, and a woman was severely injured in Velikomikhailivka. There was also a reported missile strike in Zaitseve. Russia launched 12 cruise missiles on Sunday, with Ukrainian air defenses intercepting nine, including seven over the Dnipropetrovsk oblast. Some assessment here. Neither Velikomikhailivka nor Zaitseve appear to have any military value and are located close to the southern border of the oblast. It is possible that debris from the intercepts crashed into both villages. Local officials have not provided additional information. A Russian FSB agent was captured in Dnipro. The agent worked at a support company that produced rockets, missiles, and space industry parts. She told investigators she was hired by the FSB in June, providing information on troop movements, locations, and battle damage assessments. Anatoly Kurtyev, secretary of the Zaporizhia City Council, reported that several explosions were heard in the city of Zaporizhia with no reports of damage or injuries. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. The Russian objective here is to set conditions for an offensive to capture northern Zaporizhia, defend the existing line of conflict, and end the insurrection that has expanded from Melitopol to most of the occupied territory. The Ukrainian objective is to fix Russian assets in place to prevent redeployment, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies and disrupt logistics, and support and expand the insurrection in occupied territories. There was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv to Novoandrievka. There were reports of explosions in Melitopol, which were large enough to be detected by satellites. There was, however, no additional information at the time of recording. Yevhenny Balitsky, the Gauleiter of occupied Zaporizhia Oblast, announced that the sham referendum on whether the oblast should become part of Russia had been postponed indefinitely. Balitsky said the vote would be held when the security situation allows. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to maintain existing defensive lines, push Ukrainian forces out of artillery range of Donetsk City, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. GSAFU reported that Ukrainian troops fought back elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR in Ozaryanivka, indicating that there has been an advance from New York across the Minsk II border and freshly liberated Shirokabalka. Ukraine has been slowly making gains around New York, 
advancing on Novoselivka on September 1st and taking back Novobakhmutivka on September 3rd. DNR forces launched an attack on Novobakhmutivka on Sunday and were unsuccessful. Ukraine is likely attempting to sever the E-50 Highway Ground Line of Communication, or GLOC, remember, supply line, which would complicate the flow of troops and material into Avdivka. The DNR is finding success in Vesele, where they continue to make incremental but very costly gains at the remains of the international airport. Available artillery has been concentrated in a small area where military leaders are employing the General Zhukov strategy of artillery, more artillery, followed by even more artillery. Light infantry is then sent forward, and if they are killed by Ukrainian fire, the whole process is repeated until artillery neutralizes Ukrainian defenses. This method of attritional warfare was successful in May and June, but with the DNR in a combat-destroyed state, the tactic is not sustainable. From the airport region, there was an attempt to advance on Vodjana, which was unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces fought within Pisky, but were repelled by heavy artillery fire resulting in the loss of a tank, an infantry fighting vehicle, and several soldiers. The battle video is not graphic, and you can find the link to watch it in our full situation report on Patreon. We maintain Pisky is contested, as the battle video showed no evidence of Russian troops within the village, which was indiscriminately shelled. DNR troops tried to advance into Avdivka and Pervomaiske and had to retreat to their defensive lines. Finally, there was an attempt to capture Krasnohorivka from Ukraine, which failed. Multiple Russian accounts and mill bloggers continue to insist that Ukraine is gathering a significant force in the vicinity of Vulidar for a future offensive. If the Russian Ministry of Defense believes a counteroffensive is coming, their artillery didn't indicate any concern, with less activity around Vulidar. In Russia-occupied Donetsk, the gasoline and diesel fuel supply for civilians has become critically low. Complaints on the popular social channel Typical Donetsk report that fuel has been out for days, and if you can find it, prices are increasing. Occupied Mariupol is reported to be particularly hard hit. In Mariupol, insurgents were able to infiltrate the Soviet Day celebrations outside the remains of the bombed-out drama theater and photograph collaborators within the city. The celebrations were by invitation only, while the outdoor concert was fenced off with heavy security. A St. George ribbon of orange and black was stretched down the same road used for May 9th celebrations. The insurgents' description put it best, saying, quote, It all looks like a rapist and murderer throwing a party for the victim's relatives at the crime scene. End quote. Questions were raised about leadership within the DNR when the Kremlin pulled Denis Pushilin out of the Donbass briefly but he returned and made a statement from Lenin Square in Donetsk. Pushilin's short but rambling statement claimed that some in the Donbass no longer want him in power, but that he is, quote, here, and, quote, we are advancing. Dissatisfaction with the war is growing in the Donbass, where poorly trained, conscripted LNR and DNR troops are used in frontline attacks, there has been no measurable progress, and basic infrastructure like water and sewer services have not worked in months. 
In Bakhmut, the Russian objective is to secure the area by September 15th to support an autumn referendum to join the Russian Federation. No pressure. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend GLOCs. At the risk of sounding like a TikTok video repeating over and over again, the situation around Bakhmut is unchanged. Russian forces led by the private military company or PMC Wagner Group fought only skirmishes on the outskirts of Solidar and Bakhmut. Russian shelling caused significant fires in Bakhmut, where 10% of the original residents still live. There was a reliable report that Ukraine launched a counteroffensive on LNR troops in Solidar. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicated the Russian-occupied Naufjips sheetrock factory was on fire, supporting the reports of an ongoing counterattack. Heavy fighting continued for control of Mykolaiv Kadruha, with PMC Wagner advancing closer to the village's core. There was a breakthrough at one point to Kurdyomivka and the T-513 highway, which could provide a route to advance on Bakhmut from the south, but they were repulsed. Kadyrovites with 141st Akhmat continued to fight for control of the train station in Mayorsk and attempted to advance into Zaitseve. They continued to learn that they should stick to making TikTok videos as they could not move the line of conflict. Our assessment of Bakhmut is unchanged from August 24th. We recapped it on September 8th around minutes 16 or 17. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, the Russian objective is to push back the Ukrainian counteroffensive, protect the flank of retreating Russian forces from the Izum Axis, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, prevent the retreat of Russian soldiers from Izum, make opportunistic territorial gains, support insurgents, and interdict supplies. Fighting for control of Lehman continued, with Russian forces from the DNR putting up a surprisingly stiff resistance. Pro-Russian accounts reported Ukraine made a wet crossing in the area of Zaktin, advanced north through Yampil, and attacked Lehman from the east, adding pressure to the defending troops. Fighting may be getting more intense, with the garrison brought in to defend Russia's retreat from Izum close to encirclement. If pro-Russian claims that Ukrainian forces are now south and east of Lehman are accurate. A rocket attack on Kramatorsk badly damaged the city's maternity hospital. Fortunately, about 90% of the civilian population had been evacuated and the facility was not in use. The security guard was not injured, but part of the facility collapsed. War Gonzo, an unaffiliated journalist organization, made a head-scratching claim about Lehman. Semyon Pegov, our chief content officer counterpart, was recently arrested in Moscow for drunkenly attacking a hotel manager and allegedly fighting with police. He may have been hitting the bottle a bit hard when he wrote his latest on Telegram. Pegov reports that NATO instructors from the United Kingdom and Poland were leading artillery fire and supporting an advance of two companies of Ukrainian armor and a thousand troops from Slovyansk to Lehman. To be clear, we don't believe any of this, and this bizarre claim will likely only cause more panic among the Russian proxy forces currently stuck in Lehman. Editor's note here. 
Pegov may be setting conditions for the collapse of the defense of Lehman to claim that if it weren't for NATO troop involvement, Russian forces would prevail. Just in case there's any confusion, there is no indication that any NATO forces are directly involved in fighting within Ukraine. And the Kremlin has made it crystal clear that direct NATO involvement is a red line. The reports of Ukrainian forces advancing on Lysychansk and Severodonetsk were a psychological operation to confuse and panic Russian troops. The advance into Bilohorivka and incremental success near Zolotarivka likely added to the fear of the occupation forces and, unfortunately, also the hopes of the Ukrainians in the occupied territories. Russian troops and their supporters have fully evacuated from Svatova, with only a small garrison of LNR troops remaining. The evacuation was disorganized and done as a classic every-person-for-themselves exercise. In Russian-occupied Kuzemivka, insurgents raised the Ukrainian flag on a cellular and microwave communications tower. Serhii Haidai reported that the sham referendum to join Russia which was supposed to be on September 11th, then was delayed to November 4th, has now been put off indefinitely due to the, quote, security situation. Remember that column of reinforcement vehicles rushing to Lysychansk and Izum that Russian state media shared? Did you notice how they never showed up? Well, it turns out the relief convoy was not a PSYOP. It was real. Was. Due to abysmal operational security by Russian state media, again, the convoy was obliterated in a rocket attack while en route to Kupiansk. The convoy passed through Svatova before being absolutely destroyed in Kisalivka. Our assessment here is that we maintain the Russian occupation of most of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing with the fall of the Izum Axis, and Ukrainian troops actively operating across the Seversky Donetsk River. We believe there will never be a referendum in Luhansk, or to be frank, anywhere else in Ukraine. Russia has not established a viable security situation and is incapable of doing so. Further, actual support for such a measure outside of Donetsk and Luhansk city is around 10%. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to the Izum and Northeast Kharkiv axis. The Russian objective here is to retreat and minimize casualties, prevent Ukrainian forces from crossing the Oskil River, and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to clear pockets of Russian troops and resistance, demine the region to make it safe for civilians, assess public needs, defend the Ukrainian border, and refit and reconsolidate and move to the next offensive. So, get this. Almost all of the Kharkiv Oblast west of the Oskil Reservoir and River has been liberated by Ukraine a total area approaching 8,600 square kilometers and wiping away almost 10% of the territory Russia has captured since February 24th. The Russian Ministry of Defense during its September 11th update showed that it intended to move to the east bank of the Oskil and hold the territory. The cities of Izum, 
Savinsky, Balaklia, Shevchenkov, Kupyansk, Veligaburluk, and Vovchansk, and the areas between them are confirmed as liberated. And Ukrainian forces were advancing to the Russian border crossing at Chukhunivka, Veryovka, reaching Dovorichna. Drone video showed Russian military columns fleeing from Izum as Ukrainian troops pressed in from the north and south. The GSAFU morning report stated that Bohorodichne was shelled. The evening report confirmed the end of organized Russian resistance. Ukrainian troops swept into the southern half of Izum, placing the Ukrainian flag in the main square. Ukrainian troops also raised the flag on Kremenets Mountain, the highest point in the city, and the location of a World War II memorial celebrating the victory against Germany. A slew of videos showed Ukrainian forces still capturing dozens of Russian soldiers and their proxy forces, and the capture of military equipment and ammunition. For those of you who have been craving a new Ukrainian Farm Army Tractor Force 1 video of an abandoned Russian tank being towed away, well, we've got you covered. The link is in our full situation report on Patreon. Ukrainian soldiers finding equipment and ammunition have been making videos thanking Russia for the, quote, Lend-Lease program. Ukrainian soldiers also found a stash of Palm 3 anti-personnel mine systems, which hadn't been deployed. The Palm 3 is designed to maim, not kill, and spreads the landmines over an indiscriminate pattern. The defeat at the Oskil had one more casualty. Lieutenant General Roman Berdnikov, who was appointed to the position of commander of the Russian Army's Western Military District on the 26th of August, was fired after 16 days on the job. Lieutenant General Alexander Lapin has been named the new commander in a role with an average tenure of 21 days since Russia's, quote, special military operation started. An important assessment here. We continue to advise our readers and listeners to prepare for what we believe will be discovered in Izum and the forests west and east of the city. In northern Kharkiv, the Russian objective is to break civilian will with continued terror attacks, and the Ukrainian objective is to defend the international border, intercept Russian rockets and missiles fired at Izum, and prevent civilian casualties. After early morning artillery fire and minor fighting around the former Russian stronghold of Veliki Prokhody, Russian troops completely withdrew northwest, north, and northeast of Kharkiv. We've maintained a small pocket of villages under Russian control as we await social media intelligence or reports to confirm the area is liberated. We believe, however, that Russian forces are no longer there. As we had previously assessed, Russia wasted no time terrorizing civilians in Kharkiv after the defeat at the Battle of the Oskil River. Editor's note here, social media circles are gravitating to that name for the battle. Russian missiles struck the Kharkiv CHP-5 and Zmiv CHP power plants, with the CHP-5 being Ukraine's largest non-nuclear power plant. It was part of the coordinated attack that hit multiple power plants on Sunday. Kharkiv was hit first, plunging Kharkiv and Sumy oblasts into darkness. The outage also knocked out the water supply for the city of Kharkiv. Ironically, because the power lines are integrated with Russia, power was also knocked out in parts of Bilgorod, Bryansk, and Kursk oblasts. An editor's note here, 
I guess they didn't think about the full impact of the attack on their own country. With large swaths of his nation in the dark and the CHP-5 plant still in flames, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made a defiant statement directed at the Kremlin, saying, quote, Do you still think that we are one people? Do you still think that you can scare us, break us, make us make concessions? You really did not understand anything. Don't understand who we are. What are we for? What are we talking about? Without gas or without you? Without you. Without light or without you? Without you. Without water or without you? Without you. Without food or without you? Without you. Cold, hunger, darkness, and thirst are not as terrible and deadly for us as your friendship and brotherhood. But history will put everything in its place, and we will be with gas, light, water, and food, and without you. End quote. The attack killed two workers at the CHP-5 plant and wounded two at Zemiev. Power was only out for an hour in Sumy, and by early morning water service was restored in Kharkiv city, and power was restored to 80% of Kharkiv oblast. In a separate attack, an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack mission killed one person and wounded two when a five-story apartment building was struck. Our assessment in northern Kharkiv? The sector is clear, and major combat operations have ended. Ukrainian forces have won the northern Kharkiv counteroffensive that started all the way back in June. To the north in the Cherniev and Sumy region, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources in place and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to maintain enough force strength on the border with Russia to prevent Russian troops from crossing. Russian forces opened mortar fire on the Seredina Buda and Shalahin Romadas in the Sumy Oblast. Dmitry Zhivitsky, head of the Sumy Oblast military administration, reported there were no casualties or damage. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, the Black Sea Fleet launched four large landing ships used for cargo and amphibious assaults from Sevastopol. Some quick assessment. The chances for an attempted amphibious landing are never zero, but it's pretty close to it. This is almost certainly an attempt to create doubt among Ukrainian commanders who are armed with many anti-ship missiles and hold air superiority over the coastal regions of Ukraine. Looking to central and western Ukraine, the Khmelnytsky nuclear power plant in the Khmelnytska oblast had to scram, that's an emergency shutdown, after a power surge traveled through the 330-kilovolt and 750-kilovolt power circuits across Ukraine. This was part of the coordinated missile strike we talked about earlier. In the Poltava oblast, the Kremenchug TPP was also hit by a cruise missile. The attack damaged the plant, plunging the region into darkness. Power has since been restored in most areas. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? 
Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.